The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. More with author Joelle Taylor from the U.K. straight ahead. When did or does the book drop, as they say? Ah, it's been out since the 7th of June. I'm right in the middle of a U.K. tour, which is difficult, obviously, um, <clears throat> because of lockdown. Is it, is um, it still pretty tough to, to get out and, and do things? Well, it's gone a lot better. Like I said, we sold out last night. So, and that's in Bristol. Well, congratulations. It was amazing. Thanks. I mean, but even, you know, sold sold out, it still feels quite drafty. You know, <laughs> you have these massive spaces between you and people. Um, but you can really feel that people want to connect. And it was the football, apparently. So bad I am being butch. The football last night. So we expected a load of people to drop out because um, England made it to the semi-finals. Or, I don't know. Um, but they still came, you know. Um, and I think it's for the first time we can see breath, you know, re- reasserting itself. I really hope so, anyway, if um, our current Prime Minister doesn't do anything too horrific in the meantime. I'm really hoping that everything will be open again by uh, the end of July. Um I, I, this is completely parenthetical to our discussion, but did you get vaccinated? I got double vaccinated, yeah. I've been done, which was incredible. I mean, it's part of the thing, the way I see it as well. It's it's become your passport, even, even if it's not a vaccine um, passport as such. As people who travel, you know, my job is going from area to area or country to country, and I need to make sure that I'm not spreading things, you know. So, um, I, have you been vaccinated? I have. Double vaccinated. 
In fact, I've been, uh, Joel, I've been a little bit frustrated with some of the reporting about vaccinations here in the U.S. There's this big push to get to Mm. 70% by the 4th of July, which we missed. And uh, they've been reporting the percentages as people who have gotten at least one shot. Well, I wish they would report it in terms of people who are fully vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got you. As you and I I are. You know, count us. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is a global crisis, a global pandemic, and they're still spinning. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Now, I haven't had a chance to put my hands on the book itself, but I do have... uh, some things that have been written about you and about the book and in some notes. And one of the comments that I thought was kind of interesting was uh, it describes the book as an electrifying new collection of poetry exploring the subversive butch counterculture that has Ooh. been missing from the LGBT plus narrative. Is the butch counterculture subversive? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, because for all the things we've just discussed, because what you're trying to do is try try not to see us as men or trans men. Like, one of the dangerous things, really, about this book, and it's a difficult and dangerous book to write, is to talk about where does Butch become actually masculine, an actual trans man? What What is the, what's the line? Um, so the subversion is because it's, it's gender play, I guess. I don't even think about gender, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, but it, it's not doing what you expect, which isn't what you expect it to be. They're not the aggressive, violent football players necessarily. Some are, God bless them. Because Butch is also a very working-class culture, certainly in the UK, and I think so in the States as well. Well, I you know, know in, the, in the States... The conversation is becoming more and more about gender preference and less about gender assignment. Um, is it that way in the UK as well? Do you think yeah, it's changing? I think, I think it's changing. One of, I mean, I'm by no means an expert, but you can tell, like you said, with the, some of the language being used. So instead of people talking about gender dysphoria, for example, they're talking about gender euphoria. So it's a very different way, I think, of thinking about about these issues and about these ideas. Um, and who knows what will happen? I just want us all to find a space in which we believe each other and give each other, you know, the the space to grow and develop. You know, that's probably one of the the most interesting and important phrases I've heard, and I hear a lot of phrases in a long time. Believe each other. Mm. That yeah. is so significant, and not just in in this world of of LGBT plus, but in terms of all kinds of back and forth between people. If yeah. somebody tells you something, and and I don't mean believe everything you hear or everything you read, but when you're looking at someone and they tell you something, you should believe them. Mm. Yeah, and what does you know belief belief even mean? It's not just that you accept what they're saying as the truth and how they're presenting as the truth, but it's about giving that whole 
space to it. You know, it's about, I don't know, it's kind of intangible to me as well. Well, you it's, it's about um, being heard. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And I think we've not been very good at listening to each other as an LGBT community. And I think that happens when you have, it's like in the, in the UK, we have BAME, B-A-M-E. Do you have that in the States? What is it? B-A-M-E? B-A-M-E, which stands for Black, Asian, Minority, Ethnic. And it's a classification like LGBTQ+. So a lot of the arguments are about um, how can Black, Asian, and Minority, Ethnic, which is a massive sweep of world population, how can they be condensed into a handy acronym? And I feel the <laughs> same about, you know, a pity little acronym. But I feel the same about LGBT+, you know. I feel I feel like one of the things we need to do to believe each other is accept that we're going to have problems when we've got lots of disparate people, you know, sharing an identity or several identities. Um, and Kanto and other poems is a way of addressing that, but also bringing us back together again, reminding us of these the holy spaces that we created. Other people call gay bars, obviously, but I'm thinking of them more in the sort of ceremonial role. Yeah, I think we've been doing a lot of arguing and a lot of non-believing of one another, and it is hoped that, it is hoped things will evolve into into a more kind of lucid and and kind way of thinking and talking from all directions. Where does it um, separate from uh, sexual attraction? to sexual identity? I mean, they're two different things, as far as I understand it. Um, so if we talk about, you know, if, if people want to know what my pronouns are, which is irritating, frankly, because to me it just sounds like what people have always said to me, are you a boy or a girl? You know, but now we're doing it on a mass global scale before school every morning. So, I don't know, I mean, I am a woman, and I guess that is my gender identity. My sexuality is, is lesbian because I'm a woman who's into other women. So you can have, you know, they're not related. But we're exploring a lot of thing. we're exploring a lot of of new concepts and and new types of relationships. I mean, forever, mm. gay meant boys liked boys and girls liked girls. Yeah, and and it's become so much more than that. As as uh, as talked about in your book. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, I mean, it's a natural course, isn't it, of ideas and evolution. And and I also often wonder where some of the sort of way of um, looking at gender identity, where has that arrived from in the physical spaces? Where has it got to us? You know, through the universities, so through people thinking and philosophies and connecting in that kind of way developing ideas, but it's, it's filtered all the way through society, you know, so that everybody to some extent is considering. I mean, would you call yourself a cis man? Uh, not generally, no. No. Um, I'm not, uh, Joel, I'm not even well, sure I would know what that means. Right. <laughs> well, I'm learning. I'm learning. Cis means on the same side as, so basically those of us who aren't trans would call ourselves cis. 
that's the, one of the new kind of thinkings that's coming through. So we are sort of taking apart little identities. And once I wanted to write a book about a specific identity, it's a book about being women as well, you know. It's really about that idea of us having these spaces we were not allowed to have and what went on behind those closed doors. Which is friendship, really. There's nothing dramatic. <laughs> there, is a, there is a death in the book, and it's based on four butchers who died, and that was a big reason why I wanted to write the book, was to give them that, that kind of honouring, you know. Joelle, um, we're almost out of time, but I'm really enjoying this conversation. You're a delight to talk to, and... I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and about you mm -hmm. and your work, past, present, and future. Joelle, do you have a website? I do. It's www.joelletaylor.co.uk. And and Joelle, again, the name of the book, um, as it as it appears, as it will appear, is uh, C plus N T O. And Othered Poems by Joelle Taylor. Joelle, thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning. And uh, congratulations on, on the sellout last night. And, and I hope you continue uh, to have that kind of success as you continue to, to promote this book and, and your other work. Thank you so much, Tom. It's been a real delight. Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care. Again, the book C Plus NTO and Othered Poems by Joelle Taylor. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better. <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today, we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus, well, then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov. Dot gov slash ag complaints 
for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to uh, explore the question, why are health disparities everyone's problem, which happens to be the uh, title of a new book by the um, founder and director of the Johns Hopkins Center for Health e- Equity, um, her name is uh, Dr. Lisa Cooper, and she joins me by phone. Good morning, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, to what degree has uh, the recent pandemic shined a spotlight on health disparities that were already in existence? Oh, the pandemic has shown a magnifying lens on disparities. You know, um, those of us who work in this field have known that there are, you know, disparities in health um, that impact people of all ages and cause premature deaths and reduce quality of life, and they cost our country billions of dollars each year, and they really disproportionately affect people of color in this country and people with low income. But the pandemic really made that much more visible, I think, to all of us. And not just in the U.S., but all over the uh, all over the world. That's true. I mean, even now, what we're seeing is that you know, countries that have more wealth, like the United States, have better access to vaccines and treatments than other countries um, in Asia and Latin America and Africa. And so, in those countries, many people are not even going to have the opportunity to be vaccinated against COVID until next year or later and so we're seeing you know rising rates of COVID-19 and deaths in those countries even as we have a vaccine available. And you said the magic word there Lisa you said uh, wealth is is are the health disparities here in the U.S. and around the world um, directly uh, related to wealth disparity? Well, I think wealth plays a a large part in that. You know, I think what we think about when we think about health disparities is that basically we have people who belong to certain groups in our society, and in the United States it it, it tends to be African Americans, Latinos, Native Americans who live in neighborhoods that just don't have the economic investment. And so as a result of that, they don't have opportunities to... um, to get uh, strong education, to have uh, excellent job opportunities. They get exposed to more uh, environmental hazards. They have less healthy food access. So they have all these different um, reduced uh, opportunities that actually lead to them, you know, continuing to live, for example, in poverty and to to not have good health or even access to health care. So wealth is part of it, but a lot of it is shaped by, you know, the policies we have in our country that sort of systematically disadvantage certain groups uh, relative to others, and a lot of that is due to what we call structural racism, really. And, you know, I I just, I can't help thinking that um, the way that health care is structured in the U.S., it's uh, a little reminiscent of... uh, the lyric from the uh, Billie Holiday song, Them That's Got Shall Get. Exactly. You know, um, people who have opportunities in this country from a very early age, 
um, to have education and, um, you know, um, good health and health care, those are people who excel um, and who end up getting great jobs and therefore are able to afford, um, you know, more uh, opportunities and therefore to continue to be healthier. You know, so it just kind of builds upon itself. And it's been centuries, you know, that this has actually happened. And so that's why we find ourselves where we are now. And we know that countries that have a lot of inequity like ours, actually not only people from disadvantaged communities, but everyone experiences worse health outcomes. We don't live as long as people in a more um, equal countries, and no, nor do our children. We're more obese. Um, more of our teenagers uh, get pregnant. We have higher rates of incarceration. Our children score worse on, worse on their math and science tests. Uh, we don't trust each other as much. We have higher uh, homicide rates. Um, so we have lots of problems that uh, result from inequities that affect everyone, not just people who live in disadvantaged communities. And the title of your book, Lisa, is Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem? And, and you know, of course, that begs the question, uh, you know, why why is it not okay for people to say, well, I, I got mine, get yours uh, when it comes to health care, but the pandemic has helped show that if we if we don't look to everyone getting treatment everyone getting vaccinated it poses a risk even to those who have all the advantages that's right i think the, the an infection like a pandemic like covid-19 really shows more clearly than you know even other situations i just told you about some of the other things that when we have inequity, it sort of just creates um, an environment in which um, there's uh, social dysfunction and struggle for, you know, resources that just really stresses everyone. But with an infection, it's really clear that if we don't care about how everyone else is doing, our health is interconnected with theirs, even not only within our own country, but actually across the globe. We've seen how, you know, we don't care about whether people get um, vaccinated or have opportunities to um, be tested for COVID in other countries, it comes to our country as well. So we're not healthy um, until we're all healthy, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you when you look at the title of your book, Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem? It's real easy to think of a very, you know, altruistic, community-minded sort of answer like, you know, um, we should do it because it's humane you know it's it's mm-hmm. the right thing to do but until we see something like COVID-19 where we actually see the risk posed to people that have good health care that have lots of resources um, it, it 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 doesn't really come into focus do you think that policy in the U.S. Um, designed around combating uh, COVID-19 has started to shift? Do you think people's opinions are starting to shift? Are we starting to realize that my neighbor's health is just as important to me as my own? I think we are starting to see that. I think, you know, um, at first it may not have been that clear, but, you know, when we've seen how so many people have been hit by this pandemic, um, 
diseases don't care uh, how poor you are or what race you are, you know. Um, you know, although those people, those groups may have been hit harder, um, people who are wealthy, um, you know, people who were uh, advantaged in other ways actually died as well. You know, we, we, we lost a lot of our older relatives. Many of us lost even younger relatives who happened to be working on the front lines. And so it, I think, showed us how much we're kind of all in this together, you know. And I'm hoping that, that you know, what's happened through the pandemic, but also through what we've seen with, you know, for example, the murder of George Floyd, how we've seen that you know, when something terrible happens to one group of people, it just has a negative effect on all of us. I think it, it was extremely stressful. I think a lot of people um, felt you know, very, very um, mentally distressed by by seeing, you know, the violence, um, you know, perpetrated uh, against people of color by police. And it's easy to see how, you know, it could be anyone that could experience that. If we allowed uh, one group of people, people to not be treated well or to not have opportunities, um, you know, who's to say that that won't spread to other groups? you know, over time. And so it's really not good for any of us, and I think people are starting to see more. Well, and, and we've... Um, our, all of our kids couldn't go to school, and, you know, all of us were affected by, you know, our hospitals being overcrowded and our healthcare professionals, you know, being um, overworked, you know, so we were all affected by this, and our economy suffered, all of our businesses suffered. Well, and we've seen racism and hatred move from group to group in this country. The attacks on uh, Asian Americans recently uh, because because of the, the mistaken notion that somehow um, China is the cause of, of uh, COVID-19. Um, Middle Easterners Absolutely. after you know, so uh, September 11th. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was just saying another example was uh, the way that uh, Middle Easterners were treated after September 11th. Absolutely. So we've seen, you know, that the, the climate uh, can shift from one group to another depending on what's going on. And, you know, if we don't, if we're not careful to really pay attention to our, our common humanity, that we're all at risk for this sort of, you know, inequitable treatment, and it causes our entire society to be sort of uh, less, less, uh, not only less peaceful and less secure, um, you know, less secure. Absolutely, you know, civil unrest. Uh, we saw what happened even with um, the January sixth event at the Capitol. Uh, we had more instability in our society and. Certainly, we, this is not going to help us to be more, um, you know, innovative and more competitive on a global stage. You know, it, our children are not going to have uh, great opportunities to, to learn from each other and work together. So it's just bad for all of us. And so there's, there's a lot that we, we need to do, and we can work together to kind of address these issues. Well, we certainly saw, and, and you made reference to January 6th and, and the uh, t attack, the breach of the U.S. Capitol. Um, we've seen how people who are distrusting of the government and elected officials and, and even, you know, science professionals and, and medical experts like yourself, um, 
how easily they can be stirred up and called into very negative action. That mm-hmm. issue of trust, how do, we, how do we get that back? How does somebody like Anthony Fauci go on television and say, it's a good idea to wear the masks a while longer, even though 60-plus percent of American people are vaccinated, at least to some degree? How is it that, that people don't just simply say, wow, he's the guy who should know Maybe I ought to do this. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've had sort of decades and decades of different issues where people in different communities have been treated poorly, you know, at the hands of authorities, uh, whether it be scientists and physicians or whether it be, you know, government. And so you have, um, you know, mistrust that has built up in those communities. And it's going to take a long time, I think, but I do think that there's hope, I think, you know, people who work in institutions like government or like healthcare or research should work very closely with people who are from those communities. You know, I, you've got to identify partners. And uh, there are people within communities that are trusted. So they might be faith leaders. They might just be like the person on the, neighbor, the block in the neighborhood who everyone knows and who everyone believes. And that's who... We need to connect with and make sure we understand what the concerns are in those communities and um, see if we can work with those folks um, to get the, co- the accurate messages out about COVID-19 and about other issues as well, about what, um, how people should address their health. And if we work with those trusted leaders, you know, people who some of, sometimes it's a barbershop owner, you know, or someone who runs a hair salon or... It could be, like I said, somebody who uh, is a child care provider or a teacher or a pastor or a faith community, something like that. Uh, different organizations um, that are more trusted. We work with them. That's how we're going to get this word out. I don't think it's going to be one messenger. You know, I think that there are some people who have a lot of trust um, of communities, and you know, I think for those people, they should be role models. But not everyone's going to trust the same person. And and I was so hoping you were <laughs> going to come up with a silver bullet for me, Lisa. <laughs> I wish I could. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach, you know. I mean, I really think, like, you know, for example, it might be for teenagers that it's somebody who's a young person who's gone through some health challenges who can, you know, share their experience, and, and, and our teenagers and our young adults might relate more to that person. But, you know... For um, older people, it might be a faith community leader. So we can't, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. But it's important that we we get the community involved in the process. It isn't simply um, government policy, but yet government policy certainly can clear the road, I would think. What what are some things that you would suggest? How how we change policy is by getting people, uh, you know, engaged civically so they can go out and vote and support leaders who actually like will you know put policies in place that that will um, be positive for the for those communities where do we start the the health care system in the u.s. is uh, is complicated to say the least with the impact of not only health 
providers and and government resources that factor into um, paying for health and and all of that but we have uh, health insurance companies that play a role it's there are a lot of um, people in between uh, patients and their caregiver I agree completely I mean I think nobody can solve this entire problem by themselves but I think like as an individual um, what I would say is you can learn how to be your own best advocate um, or for your family members in healthcare, you know, um, some of these are some of the things I talk about in my book. Um, you know how you can do your part as an individual when you are seeking healthcare or taking a family member to healthcare. Um, I think whatever kind of field you're in, or even if you're a young person or a student, you can set an example yourself by becoming more um, engaged um, with social issues and with civic issues. You can look at who our leaders are of the organizations in our communities and in our communities, um, and you can hold them accountable for implementing policies and practices that will create equity and opportunity. So, you know, if you work in a certain environment and you see that certain people aren't getting opportunities, um, you can be the person that speaks up, you know. You can also be an upstander if you're like not a person from a marginalized group and you see that people are being discriminated against, you can come alongside those people and support them, you know. So there, I, I mention a lot of these tips in, in um, my book, and then we talk about how if you're, wh whatever, wherever you're working, you know, how you need to sort of have honest and respectful conversations with people um, that are from different backgrounds and who work in different kinds of sectors and talk about how, can, how you can work together, you know, to solve a problem. And it may not be that you fix the whole problem, but you, you decide on a particular issue within your community that you want to make a difference in. And I think that's how we start. We start small and one step at a time, you know. Are there resources already for people who have been historically left out of the health care system? There are some. You know, I, I'm really encouraged by the um, the American Rescue Act, for example, you know, the broadening of health insurance coverage, the expansion of Medicaid. So I think providing uh, more, um, better health insurance coverage has been really good. I think there are lots of programs that have been implemented, like, for example, using um, navigators or community health workers who can help people who are struggling with um, Problems, for example, with housing or um, needing to get a job or even to get um, coverage for their medications or their medical supplies. So um, community health workers a lot of times now are working with healthcare systems and through community-based organizations to be like the bridge between the community and the healthcare system. So I think there are lots of resources out there. The thing is that we really need to make sure that we're using the programs that we know work, you know, so taking what we know from research to be effective and putting it in place and then convincing our insurance companies and our employers, people who pay for these programs, convincing them that they're going to get a good return on their investment so that we actually get, um, you know, reimbursement for those, those programs because what happens is some of these programs 
are funded um, short-term through grants, and then they they go away. And so what we want to do is to make those programs more sustainable, and that's through, for example, changing laws and, you know, changing the practices of the payers. Um, In the book, uh, Lisa, Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem? Do you outline some of the resources that are uh, starting to evolve? I do. I do. I give examples of some of those resources and programs, um, and uh, I tell people, you know, different tips for how they can work uh, with different groups, um, how they themselves can become more informed. So I try to mention a lot of those resources in the book and just basic concepts, because I think when people don't understand a problem, you can't work to fix a problem if you don't understand it. So I think a lot of it is understanding it and then seeing where you fit in and, you know, where you can, you know, make one or two changes that could make a huge difference. And if everyone sort of does that, we are going to see progress, even though it may be slower than we'd like. But I, I do know that we have made progress. We have made progress, you know, over the past many, many decades. Um, unfortunately, COVID has hit us pretty hard, so we're going to have to really um, band together and see what we can do to not lose traction on the progress we've made. And and Lisa, when when did the book um, "Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem" uh, drop, as they say? When when was it originally published? It is dropping today, June twenty ninth, two thousand twenty one. <laughs> so you are right on time for it. It's dropping but, today. But this but this is um, is is a reprint. Because you already sold all the ones that had been printed. Oh, no, that's not possible. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, it just came out today. It's not a reprint. Oh, now, see, I was, I was reading somewhere that there was a delay with the book because um, the ones that they had printed had already sold out. Oh, well, maybe those, there were pre-print orders that were available on Amazon. Um, and they were supposed to just start coming out today. Oh, okay. so they shouldn't have sold out yet. <laughs> well, I wish you all the best with the uh, with the book, and thank you for spending this time with me this morning. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about, about you and your work, past, present, and future. Obviously, the book is a great place to start. Why are health disparities everyone's problem by Dr. Lisa Cooper. But Lisa, do you have a website? Well, I do. Uh, They can go to healthequityhub.org and to find out more about me and um, the Center for Health Equity at Johns Hopkins and also about my book, and they can also search for the title of the book, Why Are Health Disparities Everyone's Problem, on Amazon. It's available for order on Amazon as well. Or they can go to healthequityhub.com, and they'll find more information about the work that I do and also a blog about the book and how to order it. Well, Dr. Lisa Cooper, thank you so much for spending this time with me, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom, for having me, and have a wonderful day. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. More of the Tom Sumner hey. program. <laughs> straight ahead. This is the unknown comic. 
And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. 
More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. (laughs) The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson rises in sympathetic anguish at 2 o'clock in the morning as poor husband John, victim of contagious insomnia, or Schmoe's disease, broadcasts the telltale symptoms during the crucial stage of the dread ailment. Let's listen. It doesn't sound human. He's got it worked out in a regular pattern. (laughs) Now he'll get amused. Oh, oh no, John, John. Hmm? Why aren't you laughing? John, John, wake up. You should be giggling and you're crying. What's the matter with you? What's what's the matter, Blanche? You're not snoring like you usually do. Hmm? I was just getting used to your whining and giggling, but now you start crying and it throws me off completely. What are you talking about? You've got to stop it, John. I've never been so sick in all my life and you won't let me get a minute's sleep. I don't feel well. What hurts you, Blanche? Everything hurts me. Call Dr. Marvin. You don't need Dr. Marvin. I'll take care of you. Tell me where it hurts. It's those clams we had tonight. I didn't want to eat them, but you kept insisting. You kept telling me that clams are healthy. What clams are healthy? They are not. They are too. Did you ever hear one complain? I ate more than you did, and I feel perfectly horrible. I mean, fine. Where does it hurt you? I think I'm poisoned. My whole body aches, and I've got a terrible shooting pain between my shoulder blades. Well, lie still, and I'll fry you some cucumbers and hot root beer. Fried cucumbers and hot root beer? Make a new man of you. You just want to finish me off, that's all. Oh, Blanche, I'm only going to make a poultice out of it. It draws out the pain. It's a new medical discovery. What's the matter with an old-fashioned mustard plaster? Okay, I'll fix you an old-fashioned mustard plaster. Where's the bourbon? Bourbon? What's that for? To soak the mustard plaster. John Bickerson. Don't worry, I'll scrape the mustard off first. Where's the bottle? I'm not going to stick any bourbon-soaked plaster on my back. You don't stick it on your back. You hold it over your mouth and squeeze it. Put on the lights. I will not. I don't want you to touch me. I'll bet you're not sick at all. You just thought this pain up to keep me awake. Why don't you leave me alone? I can just hear you saying that to Gloria Goosby. Why should I say that to Gloria Goosby? Why, indeed. If you were married to Gloria Goosby, she wouldn't stand for any of your nonsense. Well, I'm not married to her, and she stands for a lot more of my nonsense than you do. What do I care what she stands for? I despise Gloria Gooseby, and you know it. Then why does she keep staring at you like she's hypnotized? She doesn't stare. It's just that she wears those outlandish dresses, and they bring out her eyes. They bring out yours, too. Now look, Blanche, let's make a pact never to mention that woman's name again as long as we live. Well, I keep thinking there's something between you. I swear, I don't even know she's alive. She doesn't mean more to you than I do? She means even less to me than you do. I don't like the way that sounded. 
Well, don't go looking for hidden meanings. Now, if you're really sick, I'll do anything you want to make you feel better. But if you feel okay, all I ask is that you let me have a few hours sleep. I did have a little headache before, but now I've lost it. It isn't lost. I've got it. Every morning when I go to work, I'm bleary-eyed and I stumble around the office in a stupor. I don't know how much longer my boss is going to stand for. Why do you stumble around, John? Well, because I don't get enough sleep. I'm completely debilitated. Why, only last week I failed to pass the insurance examination. Was it the same examination you had before? Well, certainly. Then why didn't you copy the answers off the old policy? It's not answers they want. They give you a medical checkup, and apparently I'm not such an ideal physical specimen. I think you're wonderful. You've got the nicest legs of any man I've ever seen. I don't think I'm long for this world. Am I responsible for it, John? No. I am, too. I know I am. John, can I talk to you? Sure, go ahead and talk. I've been thinking about how we quarrel all the time, and I'm sure we love each other as much as any other married couple, and I know they must have their little arguments, and maybe more than some, I just... John! You said I could talk to you! Well, am I stopping you? I want you to listen. Okay. I didn't know your health was bad, and I'm worried... Anything happened to you, and I'd blame myself for not taking the proper precautions. You know what I think. What do you think, Blanche? I think you ought to make out a will. Make out a will? I thought you were worried about me. Well, you don't want to leave me at the mercy of all those grasping relatives of yours, do you? The minute you drop dead... Don't talk like that. Can't you say passed on or something like that? Well, you always say drop dead. That's only when I'm talking to your brother Amos. You should be a little more delicate when you're discussing wills. Why? Well, because you make it sound like I'm going to go at any minute. Well, they don't give you two weeks' notice, you know. You just told me you couldn't get any more insurance. Oh, I can get all the insurance I want. I don't care. You should make out a will just the same. Okay, I'll make it out tomorrow. You say it, but you won't do it. What? Get up and do it now. Go on, get up, make out a will. Wait, you're out of your mind. In the first place, a will isn't legal unless you have two witnesses. And in the second place, I haven't got anything to leave in the first place. Unless you're thinking of that phony stock your thieving brother sold me. What phony stock? Those 500 shares of Kentucky Saltpeter. They're not worth the paper they're written on. Nobody's going to take anything, and I don't need a will. You're the most stubborn man that ever lived, John. Why? Why am I stubborn? It's the hardest thing in the world to make you admit I'm right when you know I'm wrong. There's a woman's logic for you. Suppose I do make out a will, and nobody can touch anything except you, okay? Now you've got all my worldly goods. Next thing you know, you get over your grief and marry a guy without a dollar to his name like that broken-down snore specialist, Dr. Marvin. Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody. He'll give up his practice, take you for every penny, my hard-earned money, the little possessions I slaved for. He'll drive my brand-new car, drink my bourbon, loaf around like a prince. John... Why don't you make the bum get a job, Blanche? For heaven's sake, John. What's gotten into you? Well, why did you start all this talk about Will? Well, I'll tell you. Amos just got a job as a notary public. Amos? And he gets two dollars for every seal he puts on a will. I knew he was at the bottom of it, that cheeseling, grasping... There's nothing wrong with my brother Amos. No? You're just jealous because he thinks up ways to make a living without working. Uh Uh-huh. All it takes is a little brains. 
Well, nobody's got littler brains than Amos. He's the cause of 90% of our fights. Oh, go to sleep. Ha, huh. go to sleep, she tells me. Practically coaxes me into a funeral. Gets her brother to steal my will. Keeps me up half the night with Gloria, Gooseby, and Clams. Now she tells me go to sleep. I can't sleep. Never sleep another wink as long as... <laughs> Hello, the the phone's dead. It's it's leaking. Put down that bottle of bourbon. I'll get the phone. I wonder who's calling at this hour. I can't imagine. Ow, my leg! Oh, put the lights on. The lights are on. Take off my sleep shoes. Oh, hello. Blanche, this is Amos. Oh, what do you want, Amos? Hey, did you talk him into it? No, and I'm not going to try anymore. What are you talking about? Everybody's got to have a will. I drew mine up today. I left everything I have in the world to Jacko. John. Huh? Amos said he drew up his will today and left everything he has in the world to you. Tell him I don't want her. Amos, John says he's very pleased. Fine. And you know... One good turn deserves another. Sure. I'll talk to him tomorrow. It's very important to have a will, Blanche. There's a big case going on right now. All the relatives are fighting over the dough because the rich old lady didn't file a will. Really? Yeah. She had $100,000 in cash and hid it in the bustle of her wedding dress. Hey, tell Jacko. John. Yeah? An old lady died, and they found $100,000 in her bustle. That's a lot of money to leave behind. He says that's a... Never mind. I heard him. I'll bring my notary seal around tomorrow, Blanche. You better wait until I call you. Good night, Amos. Oh, dear. John. John! Mm -hmm. I've got that shooting pain between my shoulder blades again. Oh? Let's have a look. Right, Right here. It must be arthritis or neuralgia. It hits me like a like a knife. What is it, John? It's it's the price tag on your nightgown here. Oh, no wonder my back was hurting. Holy smokes, forty-eight fifty. Is that what that nightgown costs? Yes, I just bought it this morning. Ah. Uh, What's the matter, John? Now my back is hurting. Good night, Blanche. Good night, John. Well, I told you it was a packed show, and uh, here we are at the end. I want to say thanks very quickly to all of the guests on the show, Renee West and uh, Don Opal, as well as uh, Serena Valentino, Joel Taylor, and uh, Dr. Uh, Lisa Cooper. Uh, tomorrow's Wednesday, which means armchair politics. We're going to talk about bullying in the first hour, and then armchair politics. We have uh, Bobby Clayton Walton joining our roundtable regular. See you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If 
if you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.